Welcome, everyone, to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. If you don't know the lady sitting right next to me, you've not read a book, read a newspaper, watched Good Morning America, seen the Today Show, or know anything about literature at all. I am so thrilled to introduce the number one best-selling author of all time right now, <laughs> Four Winds. Welcome, Kristen. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, Pam. It's wonderful to be here. I'm so glad you could take such time out of your busy schedule to talk to me. We were just chatting in the green room about your your guest stint on Good Morning America and when you co-hosted the Today Show. This is not the first time you've done television, though, right? Well, actually, yeah. When when I did the um, uh, the Today Show with Hoda and Jenna, that was the first time I had been on um, national TV. So, yeah, it was very nerve-wracking. How is that possible? You've had your books are turned into films and everything's been optioned. I'm so surprised. I and know. It's, it's so were you nervous? Oh, I was. Yeah, I was really nervous. And and, you know, it's in the old days, of course, you would have had to be in the studio at five. Um, so it was, I think, less nerve wracking than that. Um, but, you know, it's still national TV, no hair people, no makeup people, nobody helping you. You're just, you know, it, I'm here in the same place I am right now, uh, you know, at six in the morning. So I, I think I was helped by how early it was just too early for me to be too nervous. Now, tell me how your your guest hosts were. Did you enjoy talking to them? You mentioned oh. Jenna Bush. She's just amazing, isn't she? Yeah, she was just, both of them were, um, I, I have to say, I was I was nervous until, um, until the minute they started talking. And they were just so, you know, it just felt so girlfriends talking about books. And, you know, I can do that all day because Absolutely. my bags. So yeah. Um, yeah, it was really fun. And you could tell that, you know, Jenna and her whole family are such book supporters. And, um, you know, so I've done events for the Bush family in the past and they've just been great. Now, she and her sister write books together. They've written about their grandfather and they've written about, you know, their friendship, their relationship. Yeah. They are really pretty remarkable young women, aren't they? I don't know how she has the time to do everything that she right. does. It's just amazing. Um, and we had a really lovely Instagram live talk where we got to talk, you know, at more depth about the four winds. And, and it was interesting, you know, she's obviously a, a Texas girl, you know, from a longtime Texas right. family. So it was an interesting conversation. Yeah, I'm sure that she was familiar with the history and all, especially for the four winds. I want to, I want to kind of talk about your book for a little bit um, and ask you, First of all, where, do you, where did your title come from? Uh, this was one of those uh, sort of kismet titles. I had a very difficult time uh, titling this book. I just couldn't seem to come up with anything. Uh, my editor, my agent, and I, we were all literally working for months trying to find something that felt that it had the gravitas of the time period that was memorable, that sounded like one of my books, that that had something to say. Um, I like a, a title that has maybe more than one meaning, if possible. So sure. anyway, we had spent months trying to do it. And in February of last year, 
right as I was finishing the book, I was down in Los Angeles visiting my son and my grandchildren. And we were stuck on the California freeways on our way to go see Frozen with the kids. And a bus pulled up next to us and it said the four winds across the side. And it just felt like fate. It just like pulled up right next to me. So I took a picture of it. I sent it to my editor and my agent. And we all said, this is it. How that now isn't that remarkable? Uh, who would have known a bus is driving by and there's your title? And it certainly fit. I have a, a little kitty cat who's talking. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he, he wants to get in on the action. Um, I, I, the book is so sweeping in its history. You must spend tons of time researching. I do. Um, this book in particular, um, it, you know, it took about a year. It, it's up wow. there with the Nightingale in terms yes. of how long it takes me. And it's not just the research process. It's the the research, the travel, the coming up with an idea, the formulating a plot, and then focusing the research again once I have the plot. So it's, you know, it's a long period. But I, I felt very strongly that this was an extremely important uh, piece of American history. And I felt personally that it was something that most of us didn't know very much about. I certainly didn't know very much about it when I started. And, uh, and when I got into the research and really understood not only um, the level of hardship and adversity that these people survived, but how much, um, you know, that time period paralleled today in so many ways. So it felt very relevant to me, even though it was almost a hundred years ago. And so I felt a very, um, a strong pressure to get that right for the people who had survived it. And for the people like me who didn't know much about it. Well, it's a, it's an epic, epic, epic book. Um, it is not something I usually, you know, I can you usually read a book or two a day. This is a book that takes your intellect to understand what's going on. And then your emotion is all brought into it. There were just times when I cried because it was so difficult. It's so hard to get through some of your passages. I want to talk to you a little bit about what people are saying about this book. Uh, I'm assuming that, like your other books, this will probably be optioned if it hasn't been already. I would guess, yes. Yeah. So, uh, but there's been some negative commentation about uh, commentary about your book. Um, I try to go and read reviews both from the very top and the very bottom because it gives me an interesting look at what is happening in the general reading public. A lot of people were offended because you mentioned communism in the book. It's an integral part of the book in a, in a small piece um, yeah. it wasn't throughout because it's what really what happened. Right. And yet some comments were that you were espousing communism. And I, I was kind of stunned by that because to me, people who read literature like this, not genre, but literature, seem to me to be a little bit more enlightened than the average guy. And so what is your thought on that? Why do you think that happened? You know, this is so interesting to me, Pam. This is the first time I've actually been asked about it or, or spoken about it. And I will tell you that I did not see this coming at all. So 
it never occurred to me. Um, you know, I knew that the book was um, was was really intense, and I knew that people would respond to that. I knew it was very emotional, and so I'd hear about that. And I will say that you know, overwhelmingly, the response is positive. Oh, of course. But, but for the first time in my career, all of the negative is on this one point. So like the people who have something negative to say, for the most part, it's about this idea that I have somehow glorified communism. And it's an interesting thing because it's simply factual. I mean, I, you know, like everything else in the book, this is what was happening. And really, when I looked at it, the focus of this this section of the book is about unionism in America and the idea that there was this moment where, you know, workers were completely unprotected and this idea that that unions were something that we needed to be talking about to help people. Um, and in the 1930s, um, there was a big movement in Southern California, uh, the, you know, pro-communism, pro-socialism. It was a fairly new idea and it was based on, in theory, um, equality and, you know, equality for all. So it was this perfect sort of, you know, combination coming together, unionism and, and communism. And I guess I would just remind people who think that I'm espousing it that, you know, no one knew in this time period what communism was going to be. You know, this is pre-Stalin, this is pre-China, this is pre-Fidel. And so, you know, I am not in any way saying communism is a good idea. I would say that it's clear that in reading the book through Elsa's eyes, it's clear that the workers needed help and the workers needed to come together to um, put forward a voice to um, to protect their rights and to, you know, keep them working. It's interesting because you talked about the relevancy of it. And it just in the past couple months with the change in administration, we now are seeing a push for unionization with Amazon and Alabama and other places. Um, so before you were kind of ahead of your time, <laughs> talking about it because I think the book is very relevant. I mean, we are in a pandemic and yes, we are coming out of it, but there have been many, many struggles for families and particularly women who have yeah. children and no husband. So the, the book could almost, you could change the date almost and just change Dust Bowl to pandemic and almost the same issues are there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very true. And that's one of the things that drew me to the Great Depression as a time period. You know, it was a time when the country was very divided, um, when there was great disparity between the haves and the have nots. And, um, you know, Immigration, migration was a huge social and political and emotional issue. And, you know, the sort of issue of climate change. So, I mean, I, I understand why people looking at it at, at this moment in time think that there, I have some liberal, you know, ideology or agenda is the word I keep hearing. Right. I don't have any agenda. And frankly, if you want to know how I feel about communism, read uh, Winter Garden, my right. novel that takes place in World War II Russia. I think it's 
think it's pretty clear. I want to ask you um, a little bit about yourself. You love to travel, correct? I do. I do. Did you travel in your character's footsteps while you were writing The Four Winds? I did. Um, you know, my husband and I went down and uh, drove through the Great Plains and Dalhart, Texas, and we uh, drove Route 66 and, you know, went to... Um, Bakersfield and the San Joaquin Valley. And it was, um, it was amazing. And I think it really, it really helps uh, inform my feel for the story, you know, because yes. when you're, there were places driving um, in the Great Plains and the Panhandle and, and um, in parts of California and Arizona, where I was thinking to myself, if I had been a woman in an unreliable car with not very much money and two children relying on me for everything, I would have been terrified. You know, it is oh, yeah. raw and, um, you know, it, it just, the, the land just feels so dangerous in some of those places. Has historical fiction always been your thing? You know, I don't actually think of myself as a as a historical fiction novelist. I think of myself as an a novelist who writes in whatever time period I need to write in to tell the story. You know, in the last few years, starting with The Nightingale about 7 years ago, 8 years ago, I started being obsessed with the idea of women's lost stories and places in history where women have not been represented. And it's interesting to me that it all sort of coincides with the birth of my granddaughter and me reaching a certain age and sort of suddenly becoming um, invested and intrigued in all women, not just you know, one woman, not just right. one story. And so at the moment, that's what I'm focused on. And, and, you know, when you look back at the Dust Bowl and the Great Depression, almost none, well, there isn't all that much written about it, actually, right. but, but none of it is from a female perspective. And so I think it's important for our, our daughters and our granddaughters and our sons to, to understand and appreciate the courage and the fortitude of women, especially single mothers. You know, but hasn't it's always been like that? I think most of our history in our history books and so on is not chronicled by women and it's not chronicled about women. So, uh, you know, you are here during Women's History Month for a reason. And so, you know, I appreciate that. Um, I know you started off your life as an attorney. Were you, were you happy to leave it once you sold your first book? Um... Uh, yeah, I was happy. I was happy not to go back to the law, but not, not because I didn't like the law. I actually, I mean, you know, the, the legal profession is creative. It's analytical. It's research driven. It's about writing. It's, it's about fundamental fairness and your view of the world. It's all of the things that I love. The problem is it's a job in an office where you have to get dressed up and, drive to work. And, you know, once I had my son, it was really important to me to be an at-home mom. I just, I don't, I didn't see it coming, but that was what I, that was what I really wanted to do. Not necessarily forever, 
Right. Um, but in the beginning. And so that's, I started writing um, when I was pregnant. And um, I told myself that, you know, if it wasn't at some level of a career by first grade, I'd go back. And I never went back. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, congratulations. Had you always aspired to write fiction? No. Really? I had never, when I sat down to write my first book, I had never even written a short story. What in the world motivated you to do that? I mean, now let me just let me preface this the question or back backtrack a little bit saying a lot of my author friends, my female author friends have said I had a family, I wanted to be able to support myself and my family and writing just seemed like a good thing to do. So so but they had been always an inclination for them to write. Right. I knew, my brother's a lawyer, so I know about billable hours and how time sucking that is, you know. <laughs> um, and I know also writing briefs teaches you how to be succinct and efficient with your with your verbiage, which I think is important. But it's very interesting to me that you just decided to write a book out of nowhere. It's it's just well, it's just naive. <laughs> you know, I thought, oh, how hard can it be? In uh, his last words, right? Yeah. And then by the time I figured out how hard it was, I was hooked because, um, you know, I was a huge reader like you. I mean, and that's, you know, it was my mother who first thought I would be a writer. And I think that's a large part of why, you know, she knew that that books and stories uh, are just what move me more than anything. And, um, you know, and like the thing that I love about writing um, is the egalitarianness of it. You don't have to have a degree from Yale. You don't have to be a lawyer. You know, you don't have to come from a certain background. You don't have to tell a certain kind of story, right. you know, and so you can fit it to who you are and it can grow with you, which is one of the things I also adore about it. You know, I, I started, I wrote my first book when I was, oh gosh, you know, 28, I guess. And I wrote about things that I was interested in at 28. And now all these years later, you know, we're talking about me being interested in, you know, women's history. I would have never seen that coming at 28. Well, there's a lot to be said for just aging and, and, yeah. and having experiences and everything that, you know, uh, that make up who you are and, and inform what it is you're going to write. Um, who do you like to read? Oh, I read so many. Um, you know, I still, my very, very favorite kind of book always has been these sweeping, emotional world-building epics that teach you something. And, you know, they can be, they can be Harry Potter. They can be Lord of the Rings. Uh, it can be Stephen King's The Stand. It can be Pat Conroy. It, you know, I don't care what it is, as long as it's a story that really just sweeps me into another world. That's my favorite. Um, Pat is probably my favorite novelist of all time. You know, um, I still miss him. 
<laughs> you know, it's interesting you say that we do, um, we have a podcast live from the Pat Conroy Literary Center with the executive director, oh. Jonathan Haupt. And so he does a show every month uh, live from the center. And uh, when I first interviewed him, I thought, oh, gosh, I feel like I've met Pat Conroy. He is my absolute really? favorite. Oh. Yeah. So I can relate. Um, I have goosebumps thinking about it. So, But I understand that. And I like all of the other type of books you talk about, too. I'm just not, I guess I read whatever interests me in the first paragraph. You know, I have, yeah. I have a excess of riches. Publishers send me books all the time. If I'm not caught in the first couple pages, I have the ability to be able to put it down and start something else. Um, so I, I understand, but I want to get caught up in the story. I, there are too many speed bumps. So when you're reading, what is a speed bump for you? Um, well, I can tell you what, you know, what I'm looking for. And I'm like you, um, I have a lot of books, my two, I mean, it's, I'm looking at it right here and it looks like the city dump over here, the number of books I've got. And, and I don't have time in my life to read a book that doesn't hold my attention or keep me going. Yeah. And basically there are two ways, you know, to hook me or to keep me going. And it's either voice or it's story. Now, when you look at someone like Pat Conroy or, or Stephen King or Carlos Safone or Gabriel Marquez, then you have that magic combination of yes. both. And that's when I'm just beside myself. Um, but voice will carry me for a long time. If someone can really write, I will sort of overlook a story that I'm not compelled with. And if a story is really rocking, I will overlook whether they can write very well. It's interesting you say that because I always think that if I can read dialogue and distinguish between who the characters are without having say... Kristen said this, Pam said that. If I can read a book like that, I have a feeling the story will be great regardless. Uh, when I am reading and it's a, a rat-tat-tat type of a dialogue, and I don't know who's talking. Oh, isn't that terrible? Yeah, that throws me off completely. Yeah. And so, you know what else I don't like? I really, one of the first things that will turn me off is information dumping. Oh, yeah. You know, Sam, when you went through that ugly divorce last year and you said to me, you know, those kinds of things. Right. I just, I can't stand that. Right. You, you have to, I read a book once from a, a young guy who's a fantasy writer, very good writer, but he got so obsessed with dialogue that he would do kind of like word head bubbles, you know, that were explaining <laughs> what he was saying stuff. Yeah. So everything was italicized. And I said, you have to assume your reader is a little bit smarter than that. Please don't do that. You know, I said, cut all that stuff out of the book. And he, you know, he cut like, I don't know, I think he wrote like a thousand pages or something. You know, I just said, cut all that stuff out. It's too much. You have to just make some assumption. Well, you know, conversely, if someone drops somebody into the story and you have no idea who they yeah. are and they never yeah. come back again. Yes, these are, yeah, I mean, all of these things, definitely. And, you know, one of the things as a writer that I find fascinating is, you know, when it takes you a long time to write a book, right, you you forget what you wrote six months ago, eight months ago, what, whatever. And one of the things I always have to do sort of at the very last 
past is how many times have I given you this information? Because readers are so smart and so intuitive. And if you say it once, they'll remember. They remember, yeah. want to, you know, it's like when you're watching a TV show and they stop it to show you what you need to know that you just saw 10 minutes ago. Right. Readers remember. And so I try to really respect how smart readers are and and get rid of my natural tendency to repeat something for your benefit. And, you know, <laughs> here's the interesting thing. It could be the smallest thing, like someone's height. Oh, yeah. Or the color of their eyes mm-hmm. or something, you know, something so innocuous. And yep. that I have flipped back pages in a book to say, wait a minute, it says here or this spelling of someone's name. I just read someone's book. Um, the the heroine and the hero were both last name of Taylor, and they kept switching the smell. And it was fine. There was it was a cute way to do it, but um, they kept spelling the names different: T A Y T A L Y O R or Y E R, and it kept oh. switching back and forth. And it was driving <laughs> nuts. And I just thought. Stop. Stop. Stop you know, have somebody read it back to you. Something like that. Oh, funny. Kristen, what's next on your list? Are you taking time to just enjoy the writing process being done? Are you still on book tour? Are you going to travel? Give yourself a little vacation? All of these questions, you know, I mean, um, I turned in this book, uh, this book was finally finished and turned in the the day essentially that lockdown started. Wow. So I have been, you know, working on publicity and, and book touring and all that for the past, you know, few months, I really should be writing a new book. Um, but I'm not. And the, the pandemic has sort of thrown me for a loop. I feel like I'm finally back on track now. And, and I, yes, I'm looking forward I'm looking forward to traveling like we all are Um, when it's safe and, you know, when it can be done safely, I will be the first one to go somewhere. Oh, I understand. I've got my first Fauci ouchie and I need to go get number two. And (laughs) as soon as as I finish, I'm gone. I'm going over to the the East coast of Florida to see family. So I understand that. Have you any any ideas tickling around in your brain, what you want to work on next? Or are you just shutting that part off for right now? Oh no, I'm a, I'm pretty actively pursuing it, trying to trying to get an answer. You know, the reason is that I'm I'm happiest when I'm writing. I mean, I really I love this job. I I love writing. I love researching. I love thinking about it. What I don't like is picking what I'm picking the idea. It's like. I can't pick a car. I can't pick a refrigerator. I can't pick an idea. There's all of the research is in my head and that final, you know, okay, this is what I'm going to do for three years. That takes me a while for some reason. Yeah. That's an interesting, um, I just was curious. How do you, when you finally choose something, are you choosing by character first or by the story you want to tell? You know, it's, it's all of the above. I can tell you that the characters are generally what come to me last. That sort of is the least important to me, interestingly enough. Yeah. And in fact, I don't know if you've read this somewhere else, but so I did my year of research on the four winds and coming up with an idea and wrote a scene by scene synopsis like I do. 
I began the book. I wrote it for a year and Elsa wasn't in it. And an unnamed woman there. No, the character didn't exist. I hadn't thought of her yet. And so when she did appear and when I did think of her, I knew instantly uh, that I had written the wrong book. And so ultimately I had, oh. I had to throw it all away oh. and start over. But it was still, it was the same book. You know, it was still the Dust Bowl. It was still the family. Sure. It was still going west. So the skeleton was all there. The research was all there. I had just picked the wrong narrator. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, are you excited when you start a new book? Yeah, I'm really excited. Are you, you know, excited when you finish it? Oh, uh, then I'm relieved. Okay. But tell me um, about the part when you start it. You know, the thing about starting a book, um, I think it's like getting married or, you know, <laughs> one of these these moments in your life where it's all in your head. And in your head, it's Perfect. Perfect. Right. Everything is going to be exactly the way you want it to be. There are going to be no hitches. And it's this beautiful thing that you can look at, you know, from every angle and see perfection. The minute you actually begin, you know, that's when the whole process begins to break down. Right. And, you know, it's it never, I don't think, um, or rarely matches up to that just optimism that you have in the beginning and and this idea you know I begin every book thinking this is going to be the one this is going to be the best thing I've ever done and you know sometimes they are and sometimes they aren't when you look back at your first published book to the four winds how do they compare <laughs> they don't <laughs> I mean I don't think you know I think that I spent a lot of time sort of dismantling my own career arc and trying to understand it. And I think the truth is that I have just, um, I've just grown a lot and I continue to ask more and more of myself at, at every turn. I think the book that there's three books that, that have sort of mattered the most in terms of the career there's a book I wrote 20 years ago called On Mystic Lake, which was my first hardcover novel. And that was the novel that that proved to me that I could write a bigger book, that I could be a more serious novelist. Um, and then the second one was Firefly Lane. Right. Because that was a book, you know, that that covered a lot of time, that covered a lot of issues. Yes. And it was about an era. And that's the book that led into The Nightingale, um, which I think really ultimately defined for myself and for readers where I ultimately fit in. Yes. I think that's wonderful. Um, so what have you learned about you since you first started? You know, I'm going to write down a book because I have to be a stay-at-home mom. To where you are right now, what have you figured out about you? You know, I guess that's an interesting question. I don't think I've ever been asked that before. Um, I guess I, I, I think that writing is my therapy. You know, that writing is what keeps me sane. 
it makes me a better wife. It makes me a better um, mother and friend. You know, it keeps me level. Um, and it is, I think, you know, what I was born to do, um, even though I don't think I realized that until I was right. 40. It's interesting because you were saying, you know, you you never had a desire to write. And here you are doing what you were meant to do. So again, just, just by living by, by chronicling and, and having more experiences, we get where we are. I want to thank you so much. This folks, you have to know Kristen Hanna, her new book is the four wins. It is epic. She is the New York number one best New York Times number one best-selling author. She's been on the list for weeks now, and I suspect she's going to stay there. Kristen, it has been such a pleasure and an honor to talk to you. Thank you so much, and I hope you'll come back again sometime. Thank you. I would love to. This is great, Pam. Now, can I go and are people making comments on Facebook? Can I go and look at them? They they probably are. Um, I'm not watching any of that because I'm watching okay. you. Uh, but <laughs> yes, they are making comments on Facebook. And I'll tell you what, I will send this link over to your publicist, okay? Okay. okay. Roman, thank you very much. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you, Mom and Dad. Thank you, guys. Great to see you, Pam. You Bye -bye. too, Kristen. Thank you.